Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And Dwayne, what are we reviewing this time? Today, Jamie, we are reviewing sci-fi classic. The novel and maybe a bit of the movie directed by Alan Smithy. <laughs> oh, we know who directed this, whether he wants us to or not. What what we're reviewing is the classic Dune. 1965 classic. 65. And could you ever place it in a decade? Yep. It (laughs) makes a lot more sense now that I know that. I I, I knew it was 60s to 70s range, but 65 placing it square in that LSD area. (laughs) The LSD must flow. (laughs) This this could be an an allegory for this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this movie uh, and book novel. Now, I'm going to just come straight out and tell you. I did not know this was a novel for a really long time. I did not know Alan Smithy, David Lynch, directed this for a really long time because I just never paid attention to the opening credits because I would always catch it on WGN or TBS uh, with my dad was, was a big fan of this movie and he was a big fan of those channels uh, always playing the uh, the science fiction the uh, john wayne uh, gary cooper movies and things and so this was a really sweet spot for for me uh, nostalgically uh, just looking back upon it now being a huge fan of the movie and like i said not knowing it was a novel until probably my later teens and not buying a copy of the novel until probably my mid to late twenties. This movie, this novel is dense, 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 a lot more dense than the movie portrayed. Well, I mean, it's a pretty thick novel. I mean, and there's a, I mean, it it is, it's twisty, man. There's a lot going on. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to lie. I was a bit intimidated (laughs) when I picked it up. And it's, and it's, I mean, I'm not gonna say it's convoluted, but it, it is a, it's complicated. It's convoluted. I will say it. I will say it for you. Well, I think, I think you're tipping your head in your grade <laughs> there. <laughs> no, but in, in all honesty, I mean, uh, just just for the fact of this of this being a classic, you know, it's it's worth a read. Um, thank heavens for Audible. Not com <laughs> or you know, if your local library has a, a an app that you can download like ours does. To either borrow ebooks or borrow audiobooks. I mean, this saved my life. Yeah, it's tough. I, mean, I, I listened to an audiobook style this time. It was the first time I listened to the audiobook. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about this while we're on the air here. Okay. Was the audio was your audiobook weird? Now, are you talking about the content or just? The... Well, I know the content's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I had um, parts of the book <coughs> that had a full cast, mm-hmm. and it was great. And there were other parts of the book yeah. that had a single narrator. Yeah, the narr- the narrative through mine also. We may have had the same copy, yeah. truth be told, but but the narrator did kind of switch back and forth. You would you would have multiple people doing different roles, and sometimes you'd have one guy doing multiple roles. It just depended upon the scene, it yeah. seemed like. Well, see, I, th- I think they had done a full cast abridged version where they didn't like mm-hmm. change the text. They just pulled some text out, and then they got Simon Vance, who's my favorite audiobook narrator of all time, to come in and do the rest and of the book. In. And so we end up having just yeah. so, so some of those scenes only have Simon Vance doing all the characters. Yeah, it, it was a little choppy. It was weird. As well, yeah. You could you yeah. could tell some of the edits 
you know, where, yeah. where, where, where things started and stopped. Uh, but, you know, it was a very enjoyable read. Like I said, a, a bit diluted, a bit convoluted as far as story goes. You really see all the political twists and turns. I mean, you know, the movie just kind of lays a, lays a straight line. Yeah. And um, one thing that I did enjoy that they did with the movie and is they assigned a narrator. You know, to each character had their own voice, almost like a noir, but not quite. We can get into that a little bit. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was a lot twisty, turny, and, you know, honestly, kind of difficult to follow at times. Now, I drive for a living. I know I've mentioned this before, so I'm listening to audiobooks probably four hours, five hours at a stretch. Wow. You know, driving uh, from place to place pause get out do my thing get back in start back up you know and even at those big stretches i was like okay where are we at now i'm not sure that actually serves you well with dune yeah i, I probably should have broken it up into smaller yeah. you know maybe listen to an hour here an hour there may and and Give some time been to able to in. digest yeah. some of that who's doing what what's happening here okay this is coming around okay i see that part now yeah all those little things so jamie um i'm gonna go ahead and jump in with my grade i know we're getting into opening thoughts here but i'm gonna go ahead and jump out with my grade i'm gonna give this i wish you could see his face mm, he's in pain i'm 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 waffling here i'm waffling. I, i had i had a grade set and as we're talking more about it, I'm like, hmm, this kind of is kind of, hmm. But, yeah, I'm waffling really bad right now. I'm going to say a B plus. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the B plus. It's, and really it's just for the convolutedness of it. The, the writing is, is great. The story is way out there. I mean, you cannot <laughs> get a stranger story. But, yeah, I, and, and just for the imaginativeness of it, the sheer creativity. I'm, I'm going to give it a B plus. Okay. It's my turn to give some thoughts and a grade here. Okay, come on. I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a sort of an opening um, to my opening statement to my opening statement. Um, the way that Dwayne is for Star Wars, I have been for Dune in oh, previous wow. years. Nice. Um, I've read all the books, except for the most recent uh, Brian Herbert, Kevin Anderson books. I got burned out on those. Yeah. Dune was kind of the, the the first adult fiction I really got into. Like, I'd read, like, The Hobbit a lot. I'd read these other series. Um, before I discovered Dune, like, Lynn Reed Banks is my favorite writer. read all of her stuff. Um, but Dune I latched on to. And so I'm, I, I know too much. <laughs> like, I've, re- I've read all the books and stuff. Yeah. And, and the way that, that – Dwayne's not really objective about Star Wars. And that's okay. That's fine. It's his, it's his biggest fandom. It's the thing he loves the most in, in all of storytelling. But – um, Dune has been that for me for large, you know, chunks of my life, and so I can't really be objective about it. And as you know, Dwayne's talking about it being convoluted, well, I just see it as a fun, complicated story. I don't see it as convoluted because I mean, I've lived with the story for so long. That's just the story of Dune. Yeah, you've inhabited that maze. Yeah, and um, and so I'm not objective, and I know I'm not. I think Dwayne's probably right in the big picture. This is probably a B plus book. I'm going to give it an A, though. It's not perfect, and there are not flaws. Not an A+. Plus. Not an A+. Plus. There are okay. flaws that I can see and okay. a- acknowledge, but I think it's so good. And I think if you put it like in perspective of its time frame, like compare it to like Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke, this was such a leap forward mm-hmm. for science fiction writing 
that it still has this a special place in science fiction. And I think I, I'm gonna leave it at an A there. Okay, so we'll leave that at an A. Um, okay, Jamie, you want to get into some positives of the story now? Yes. As we move forward, okay. I'm gonna let you go since since this is kind of your baby, <laughs> and uh, I will, uh, you know. And what's what's funny about that is that you actually picked it. This is this is your episode. You wanted to redo it and review it. I have, and I was I was internally fist pumping though. <laughs> yes, yeah, I have uh, I have very fond uh, memories of this story, Ma- mainly the movie. Yeah. but uh, yeah, and, and, we're, and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the movie too of, of this uh, story, and uh, it's it's something that's always intrigued me. I've always enjoyed the the world i've always enjoyed the 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 place the uh the religions so to speak the things that happen but uh why don't you go ahead and jump out here with some of your strong positives well you mentioned the first one that's it's i think is probably its lasting legacy really is the world building yes um and nobody had done world building like this before frank herbert and and so i mean like you think about how important the ecology of dune is i mean it's important to the plot it's not just the setting that he knows how to destroy the spice ends up being, because he understands the ecology, that ends up being the hinge for how he wins in the end. Yeah, it's not just set on yeah. a desert. You know, it's not just <laughs> set, you know, in this area. You know, the worms aren't just a an animal in yeah. the in the uh, you know the planet here. They are essential to what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you really, I mean, I still, I still think that it's. It, I mean, I mean George Martin. I haven't read those books, but apparently he does a lot of in-depth world building. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Sanderson does, but those are mostly fantasy writers. Yeah, I mean, you don't find a lot of science fiction with this, even today, with this kind of depth of world building. And it's probably his strongest suit. I mean, this feels like as as foreign as the world is to us. It feels like a real place. Yeah, it really does. Um, the yeah, the world building is so rich. You know uh, what each I guess you could call a race or each culture, political culture. Yeah, exactly. What each culture is about. Um, of course, from the explanations from other characters, uh, but you know, just just even kind of by looking at them, even just kind of by you know, uh, you have uh, you know the Atreides. They're they're on the uh, um, Caladan, and they have you know they're in the castle. You know, they they kind of have the the German military look going on with with the uniforms you have the uh, emperor you know uh, so decorative and surrounded you have i got a real austrian empire feel yeah real of, austrian of the, uh, yeah and uh, you know the uh, the harkonnens are just technological machine greed no morals whatsoever yes just yeah yeah no morals at all just you know all about what we can consume, what we can control, uh, and then you have the uh, you know the the Arakitan, uh, race uh, on on Arrakis, the, the Fremen. Well, the, but the Fremen and the people that live in the in the cities and the Arakitan, and they're, they're even very different. different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're even very different. Uh, so yeah, uh, very very rich world building, and you know kind of like what you know the 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 Bene Gesserit are about you know you know what the space and guild are about and uh, and I love that uh, you know all the time spent there explaining that yeah and he's and he's such a good writer that I I don't ever get bored with it like he he's probably doing like info dumps but 
I feel like he's such an engaging writer that you don't. He doesn't. This is, I'm probably. Like I said, I'm biased. I mean, I, I, this could just be me, but he doesn't lose me. I don't get bored. I don't tune out. Right. Well, now with his introduction, that's one thing that's very interesting with his writing style is the the I guess you could call them chapter headers. Yeah. That you have the the little snippets from novels, books, um, encyclopedia type things that the Princess Irulan had written, and you're like, okay, who is this Princess Irulan? Because you don't meet her immediately in the book. It's it's a little time. It's almost the very end before you do. And you know what? What's this girl's story? What's she all about? And you know, you learn a lot about, you know, Paul through that. You learn a lot about different little things through there. And a lot of it is, is Paul's quotes of like uh, almost proverbial. Some of them are. Some of them And it's interesting are. when you go back and reread it. Some yeah. of those quotes have a different line. Have a different line when you knowing, come to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing what her, her connection is to him. Yeah. It is especially, it some of yeah, especially knowing what her connection yeah. is to him because that is a whole, uh, I, when, when I found out what his and her connection was, I was like, wow, how how crazy. You know, essentially, you know, she is his wife for political reasons who he has never touched, who he has never shown kindness or affection to. It's only a political marriage, but she becomes his historian. Yeah, and essentially so, she is his historian. Yeah, so some of those things she writes about Mwadib, like on the when you first read the book, it's like, oh, it's just some, some historian person. When you go back and reread them, it's a different light, knowing that she's on the inside, mm-hmm. but forever at arm's length. You know, it's just, it's just, it's puts a different perspective on things, and it makes some yeah. of those quotes, it gives them a different feel. A whole different feel, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's very interesting the way he he done that, and the way he introduces people, the way he introduces each culture. You know, you find out that the Bene Gesserit are controlling bloodlines to try to create the Messiah, you know, the Messianic character. You find out that the Space and Guild is trying to do it through forced evolution, you know, through consumption of the spice uh, and learning of technology. Pure mathematics, I think, is what uh, it says there. Yeah, and um, they get, it, like the, the, the other books get more into it, but they had this absolute ban on machines, and that's why the spice became so important. It let the human mind replace all of the things that machines had been doing for their culture. Now, isn't it uh, referred to that there are machines on Ix and Regis, the planets? What's the deal there? If, if there's a ban on machines. Okay. I'm a little rusty. Okay. And this is for the end of the series where I think the quality actually dips. Um, I think if I remember right, Ix are actually cloners. Oh. It's not machines. They're actually cloners. Mm, them cloners. Yeah. Because in some of the sequels, they clone some of the characters from this book. They come back. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that a little it, bit later, but yeah, I've heard about that. To, to do different levels of effectiveness. I okay. mean, it's, some, sometimes okay. it's interesting and sometimes... But... Okay, now is... Uh, what planet would the Spacing Guild be on? No, I, actually, I was wrong. Ix is the one that plays around with machines. The okay. Lilac Sioux okay. are the ones that do the cloning. Or is that the same place? It's really complicated. <laughs> yeah, well, I, now see, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, man, don't make me read these books again. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make you read them again. I'm not going to make you read them again. But, the only but one I, I like rereading is this one. <laughs> but, yeah, I know that there's that, that statement, you know, there are many machines on X, better yeah. than the machines on Ridge S, you know. And, and, but, they're, and, but they're not supposed to be thinking machines. Okay. They're not supposed so to replicate they're, they're what a purely human mechanical. mind does. Yes, they're not supposed okay. to do what a human mind does. Okay. So, so, there's, so there's an absolute ban on thinking machines. 
Can I can I try some big words out here? Okay. So they're purely mechanical, not computational. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> okay, but no, uh, seriously, guys. Uh, the you know the world building the the but that, that's the depth of, of the world building. We can to. ask those kinds of questions. Yeah, yeah that's, how, that's how deep the world building. Yeah, there's answers there. Yeah, yeah, yeah those things are answered there. Um, I, I really uh, was intrigued by how much, you know, the uh, the religious part of it gets into you have the um you know you you have the uh the orange catholic bible referred to in here you have the words jihad you have you know each culture has its own little thing happening and that's just not a thing in a lot of science fiction i mean you're not going to find that in star trek good luck star trek not track Whatever. I don't really care if I say that one. I don't know. I was, I was, I was throwing it in there for Sam. Do you want Sam to get upset? Um, I don't actually hate Star Trek as much as I let on. Uh, no, I was too. just messing with Sammy. Yeah, we just got to mess with But um, We love you, Sam. Still shouldn't have brought Star Trek on our show. Not especially not a Star Wars episode. Yeah, really. But um, I got... I got <laughs> Sorry. You, I got off on a... Uh, anyway, so... Like, you, but you don't find religion in science fiction this way. Mm-hmm. Um, like And in, like even in Star Wars. Um, it plays with it some, but it's always this Eastern um, impersonal kind yeah. of religion. Um, yeah, it's, frank- it's very Buddhist. It's very meditative. Yeah. It's very uh, Taoist. Yeah. You're not going to find deities in Star Wars. I mean, you just. Right. I mean, maybe in some of the books, but like in the movies, it's it's not there. Yeah. No, not even in the books. Everything goes on goes to the will of the Force. This yeah. overarching thing. But but it's a it's a theme through all of Frank Herbert's work. I mean, despite being a science fiction writer, he was very interested in religion. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm guessing that I would come to like, completely different opinions on everything. That, but I'm always interested. Like he's got a different series called the Pandora Trilogy, where like the names of the books are the Jesus Incident, the Lazarus Effect, and the Ascension Factor. I mean, I mean, they're books that play with hmm. religion. And That's even his, interesting. Yeah, even his submarine book has, has important religious elements in it. I mean, and being underwater in a tube, I would be pretty praying a lot too. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not just that. Like the, yeah. I mean, I, we're not going to get into that now. We're talking about yeah, Doom. yeah, yeah. We're talking about Doom. But yeah, the uh, yeah, as you find out, you know, the Quisat et cetera, they're trying to create a messiah. They're trying to create a a deity, essentially, you know, yeah. a, a god character. Um, you but, know. I, but I think there's even some ambiguity there. Like you, you get the impression that the Bene Gesserit are just manipulative. Like there's no religion to it. Like they, like they try to convince the masses mm-hmm. it's a religious messiah. But for them, it's just the pinnacle yeah. of human. And and that even comes out in this book, if I'm not mistaken, uh, kind of toward the end when uh, when the, all the confrontations happen. Yeah. Uh, where uh, Mother Gaius Helen Mohim. Um, that, that one, that, one. Yeah, that lady. Yeah, that's a hard name to say. Is um, you know being confronted by Paul, you know, and, and they say, you know, you tried to do this, you succeeded, not meaning to. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's some ambiguity there because I think I think Paul is a religious person, mm-hmm. and I think that if you were like really force him to, oh, you can't force Maldiv to do anything. But I think I think Paul would say that there was something like more to it to make Paul what he was. Do you, do you truly? I, I'm not sure. I did. I don't see that as he, uh, in his character, him being essentially religious. He's very learned. Yeah. He's very uh, intelligent. Uh, he's uh, puts a lot on foresight, but he, he talks about um, like God creating Arrakis to train the faithful. Now, see, and I don't think he's manipulating the Fremen was, at that point. Was that not a Fremen 
saying. I yeah. thought that was a Fremen, like a like almost like a proverb that they had where it says, you know, it's said that, you know, God created Arrakis to train the faithful. Yeah. Instead of like, I'm saying God created Arrakis, it's an, it is said that. But I think he quoted like approvingly. I, I think he was like giving his stamp of approval. Like, yeah, like, I, I agree with this. I, th- I think it was a statement of like of conviction from him. Hmm. I almost see him as a not, I won't say unwilling uh, participant in his destiny, but he almost seems kind of separated and stand aside from it. It's almost as he's observing events and, and going with the flow. I felt very much in this book, instead of him being a true believer, that he was, okay, here's an opportunity. I'm capable. Let's take it. See, I, th- I think I think I think Frank Herbert leaves it ambiguous. I really think he does. So people can pull different things from it. Yeah. Because think about the terrible purpose, which ended up being the the Fremen Jihad that yeah. would wash over the entire universe. Yes. Well, he spends the majority of the of the book trying to trying stave to off. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to get to escape the terrible it. purpose, yeah. and at the very end, he gives into it. But every vision he has, I, I love the uh, the way that his visions are described where it's valleys and hills. He sees a massive, you know, major life changing events very clearly. And the future disappears. And then yeah. it'll go into a valley and, you know, the unimportant things in between are kind of vague. And then it comes back up to, but there are all these valleys that go across this. There's all these paths that go through these uh, peaks and valleys. Yeah. But where does the terrible purpose come from? See, I, I think that's where Frank leaves it a little ambiguous. Like, the the terrible purpose isn't Paul's vision. It's from outside of him. Mm-hmm. And he submits to it at the end. And he talks about it's going to going to cleanse the empire, going to cleanse the universe. Well, if, if there's no, if there's nothing outside of just human purposes, what does it need to be cleansed for? What's the purpose of the cleansing? Mm-hmm. So I think Frank leaves it ambiguous. Like there, there could just all be human activity or there could be something else going on. And I think he even leaves like some of the things that Paul says could go either way. That's that's interesting. I felt like, uh, you know, like you said, you felt that he was a true believer, essentially. I felt like through the majority of the book that he was, I won't say manipulative, but, you know, he was just kind of going along with that and not, you know, truly like, oh, this is what I need to do. This is like, okay, this is how I'm going to survive. This is how I'm going to get my vengeance. This is how. And and I guess that's another masterful masterful piece of uh, of Herbert's writing. You know, it is left ambiguous. It is kind of you can take it either way. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. That's yeah. a very interesting part there. But even if you don't agree with where he lands on stuff or how or how he uses <laughs> religion, I just I love that he he thinks about it and it's important to his stories. I yeah. think most most science fiction is just it's just absent. Oh yeah, most science fiction is is you know the man versus the machine. You yeah. know, you're looking at 2001: A Space Odyssey. You're looking at our robot. Essentially, you know, even even with the moral, you know, the morality there. Uh, but, yeah, that's very, very interesting uh, how he, religion was such an important piece to him. What's some of the highlights, Jamie, that you uh, would like to 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 bring forth? Uh, we're not into awards, but just maybe some really strong uh, through lines or, you know, events that happen that that you want to bring a lot to in, in this book. Hmm. Important events. I wasn't ready for that. 
I was thinking more big picture, okay. not not the uh, not in, not the details. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and of course we're not you know we're not breaking this down section by section or scene by scene like we do some of our movies or some of our other things, but you know there there are some very I think important some very uh, really interesting scenes. I really love uh, when him and his father are talking on the balcony, and you know his his father makes the quote you know without change something inside us sleeps, yeah. the sleeper must awaken. You know we have to experience we have to deal with change and you know of, of course the the gomja bar the box with the poison that is a great scene you know where uh, he is being tested to see if he is a human or an animal you know can he control his impulses can he control his reactions or is he a slave to his you know inner you know demands and i think another um i guess it's like a pair of scenes is the scene when Jessica takes the water of life mm-hmm. and we have all that inner stuff that happens with her. And then we find out what it does to her daughter yeah. who's, who's, you know, still, you know, in unborn. And I just, it's interesting. It's one of those like, wild things that I don't want to, I don't want to know what Frank Herbert was taking when he, he came up with that scene. But, <laughs> but then later on when Paul does it and takes yeah. the one, the one drop of the water of life and it takes him three weeks to change it. Or, or yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a kind of a, you know, it tells you what Paul is. You know, it's just it's interesting the way he does that. Um, I would say uh, another one would be the uh, just the, the finale, the way because uh, there's there's a lot a lot of the important bits are in the movie, mm-hmm. but like there's the interesting bits there with like the what stuff the stuff that happens with Thufur Hawat. Yeah. Um, you know, Paul knowing that he's there to kill him and then gives him the opportunity to do it. Then Thufur won't do it, and and just the way that plays out with Count Fenring and then Fade Ralpha, there's just so much going on there. It's just a great finale too. It's a great scene. Yeah, um, I actually preferred the uh, the movie version of the ending. It's tighter. To, yeah, it's it's a lot tighter. As I was kind of, and like I said, you know, the amount of time I listened to these books, you know, at a stretch, I was probably needing a break at that point. And, <laughs> and, and but I but I knew I'm like, okay, there's X amount of time left. I need to wrap this up. You know. And uh, yeah, the the movie ending is is quite a bit tighter, and yeah, the the way that that the water of life affects Jessica and her daughter, the way that uh, that Paul processes, it. I really like the uh, you know the the personal guard, the uh, yeah. the the, the Fedekin, you know those those guys are really 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 awesomely uh, described. And, and I, I like visually how they show them in the movie. They've got the, the bloody handprints on their shoulders mm-hmm. in the movie. It was just a cool way to set them apart, you know, yeah. in the movie. But, yeah. um, but I really like the ending because, I mean, you used this, uh, this line earlier. I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to steal it now. But uh, I mean, Dune is really, a, it's a political thriller masquerading as science fiction. You, you said earlier, it's the West Wing in space. Mm-hmm. And, and that, so as much as like Frank lays his cards on the table early on and tells us all kinds of stuff that most writers wouldn't, tells us who the traitor is, he tells us, you know, who really, you know, who was against him, who sent those troops in exactly. to kill to take yeah. out the. He tells he tells us all of it. There's no there's no suspense as to what's going on. But so it's this this building of political suspense all throughout the movie, and then it all wraps up at this big finale at that that final scene. And so mm-hmm. I, I just I love I love how that happened, how that how he built that up. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was really uh, really cool. Um, okay, I'm going to maybe try to shift the discussion a little bit toward the movie now um, before we get into our negatives. So, what was your feelings of the depiction of the worms uh, being one of the most important uh, 
visual and and even you know narrative pieces of, of the book and the movie the worms were so important what was your feelings of the way those were depicted um well, this was a what 1984 80 yeah i want to say 82 84 range yeah i think for a movie made in the early 80s the effects are very good it looks amazing yeah truly for an early 80s movie it really does look amazing yeah and i'm honestly as i read the books now i kind of picture the worms from mm-hmm. the movie yeah okay. and, and they hold up now, some of the other effects, like the shields, look weird. Yeah, the shields look a little weird. I think in the uh, I think in the books they were a little more like a static electricity haze around the body. Yeah, and I think I think it's supposed to be skin tight. Like yeah, just just like a millimeter just, off the yeah, skin. Yeah, just just a little bit. But in the movie, they're, they're surrounded like by this block about six to eight inches away from your, your yeah. They your look body like Minecraft so characters. Exactly. Yeah, just picture a Minecraft character. Um, one thing that was changed, I thought was really interesting, was was the uh, the weirding way. I was, I was the, say the that. way of fighting that uh, you know in in the book it's more or less hand to hand combat. Yeah, it's kung fu basically. Yeah, yeah kung fu. Um, in, in the uh, movie, they have this module that that uh, affects sound, transfers it to energy. I, I, along I, with the physical movement. I think it's an improvement. You I, think so? I really do. I really dug that too, and especially the inclusion of uh, Paul's uh, Fremen name, Muad'Dib, as a killing word yeah. that they that they spoke. Well, and and if you think about it, like in the in the book, there's the weirding way and the voice are two separate things. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got unlimited pages. Yeah. To tell a story in a novel, yeah. in a movie, you've got two hours, two hours plus to play yeah. with. And I think they combined those two things in a way that was very good for a visual medium. Yeah. Because you can kind of see what the voice is doing. Mm-hmm. And then when he put the modules on, you can see what it's doing to the things around him, the way it's breaking rocks and stuff. Because you can't really just to say, that, well, the weirding way is Kung Fu. Like, well, we've all seen Bruce Lee movies. Right. You know, I mean, we know, we know who Chuck Norris is. I mean, we're, we're all set. I mean, it, does, it doesn't feel special to us. Doesn't yeah. feel science fiction. No. But when you have them, have the true. weirding modules. Yeah, I thought that was. I thought that was a. Uh, I like that you said an improvement. I thought thought that was a very interesting uh, take well, on that as well. If you think too, in the uh, you said the, the 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 climax of the movie is was you thought was a better than in the book. The and the fight with Fade Ralpha, he does the voice without the weirding module, and that's yeah. one more thing that proves that he yeah, is he the Quizzet Hatterick. Yeah. He can do the weirding way yeah. without the modules. Yeah, and you have uh, Everett McGill as Stilgar, uh, you know, kind of – I'm not sure if it, he speaks out loud or if it's that inner monologue. And he says, oh, Mwadib no longer needs the wording module. Yeah. He can kill with the word, and his word brings death eternal. Yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, there's some really great – I mean, you know, that line right there, the, you know – Without change, something inside us sleeps. The sleeper must awaken. You know, this movie is very quotable. Yeah. It's a real quotable book. I want to speak to the casting of the movie for a moment. I mean, you have Kyle MacLachlan. You know, and he's such, I think uh, you had made this statement, too. He's such a baby face yeah. that his age is kind of, you know, 16 to 20-ish, you know, range. You know, and I know the books kind of tend a little bit younger uh, protagonists. I think he's 15. Yeah, when, when they when was they he get, 14 when they, or 15. Yeah, when I they think. when they look when the when they go into into exile when they go okay. into the deserts, I think he's 15 okay. at that point. Okay, because I think he started out around 14, if I'm not mistaken, and a little bit of time passes. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's there's two different two year jumps, if I remember right. Okay. So I think by the end of the movie, he's still just like 19 or 20. Yeah, yeah. Now the now the jumps in the movie, you know, where it shows him 
without the blue and blue eyes. And then it shows him with yeah. the full blue eyes. You know, that was a, that was a neat time leap, you know, but you have Kyle McLaughlin playing, you know, Paul Atreides, you know, great casting um, in my opinion. Um, his father, Duke Leto Atreides played by uh, Jurgen Prochnov or Prochnow, a uh, Russian actor, You'll know him when you see him. Just just IMDb him. Watch this movie. You've seen him in movies. And he is a great good guy and a great bad guy. Yeah, yeah I've seen him both He's roles. really good in this movie. Really I haven't seen good. him in a ton of stuff, but yeah. he's really good as Duke Lee, though. Yeah. You have uh, Dean Stockwell um, as uh, Dr. Huey, the traitor. Um, you know, um, if I'm not mistaken, I had read an interview uh, when he was uh, doing Quantum Leap. That's a show we need to review. Uh, when he was doing Quantum Leap, and you know he didn't know how to read. Really? If I'm not mistaken, it was either him, and or or the other one hmm. that the guy who plays uh, Bishop in Aliens. They they had they were like having difficulty, wow. you know, with reading. And I don't know if it was a you know dyslexia issue, just an education issue, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, but he still pulls the acting off. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and he doesn't need a an omnipotent computer named Izzy to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to talk to his little, uh, you know, neon-colored iPhone yeah. that he has. Um, of course, uh, you know, Freddie Jones as uh, Thufer Howard. Um, Duncan Idaho, his, his character. I mean, these guys, you've seen these guys through movies. Well, yeah, and you've got I'm Wormtongue even, I'm playing even, Potter. Brad Dourif, yeah. Brad Dourif. Hello, uh, would be Wormtongue to me. I believe he is a highly, highly underrated actor. I really believe he is. But, you know, we also have number one, the captain, Jean-Luc Picard, in this movie. I mean, just being... Just a complete bad A. I mean, I, I think that he's the one who is most ex, most is you know a straight line from the character in the book to the character in the movie. He truly he is Gurney Howie. He truly is Gurney yeah, in here, and he's so savage. I mean, I'm so used to seeing him, you know, uh, Professor X. Used used to seeing him as uh, yeah. This he, Picard's going on the Picard, away missions. I mean, he is kicking butt and taking names. You know, See, we do know some Star Trek. Yeah, so. Uh, and uh, I'm going to tell you, one of my favorite castings is Sting. Mm. And he's, As, probably, he's probably the least like the character from the book, though, out of all of them. You think? Yeah, I think he's good in the role, but I don't. he doesn't, he doesn't feel like Fade Rautha from the book. I like, I, like, I like the Fade Rautha in the movie, too. They just feel like different characters. Okay, now see, I, I feel like he's very, very similar because he's kind of the pet yeah. Of the bear, and he's kind of the pretty face. The but he's so cruel, even yeah. in the from book to movie. But it, but in the in the book, he's really cunning. Like him and Thufir Hawat have all these plots to try to kill the Baron. Like he's like he's a schemer. I just don't get that at all from the character in the movie. Hmm. It's, it feels like he's a different kind of villain. Yeah, I can I can kind of pick up a little bit on that. He probably is not portrayed as cerebrally as as yeah. as you know uh, cunning, like you said. Um, as it, but I thought uh, I thought that Sting really, uh, you know, to come out and do an acting role, he did a good job. Which of course beforehand I believe he was uh, in uh, Quadrophenia by the by the Who, the the movie uh, for their album Quadrophenia. So this wasn't his first role, 
but uh, I believe he done a really good role. And uh, of, as uh, you know, I mentioned before, uh, Everett McGill as Stilgar. I mean, this guy is just a tough, kick your face in '80s actor. So he really was the head he, of the bodyguard. And know? he's one of the actors that when I read the book, I just picture that face yes. and hear that voice. Yes, like some of them, to. I have a different thing. But like whenever I whenever I'm hearing or reading about Stilgar, yeah, that's who I can't he, I can't shake him. He has a very distinct face, a very distinct voice, yeah. um, and uh, you know uh, you, when you hear him through the through the book, you know, during different because he says different things, the Fedakin, you know, and he'll say Shyalud, you know, and the yeah, way that he great. does that, through that, it's just great. But you, you mentioned earlier the um, the inner monologue on the outside, yeah. Um, that's kind of a weird thing to do in the movie. It really is a weird thing to do in the movie. And I think if it wasn't introduced to me so young, I think it would bother me. Yeah. So if you're watching this movie later in life, if you're just starting to visit it, or if you've maybe visited it later in life, maybe give it a different, maybe give it another chance, you know, with, with maybe a different set of eyes. Um, but yeah, the inner monologue, you know, almost like a noir. You know, you 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 see what they're thinking, and you it's see it's not just the detective; it's everybody. It's everybody, <laughs> yeah. And even everybody from scene to scene, yeah. You know, uh, does that. Well, like, there's that there's that dinner scene um, where there's like seven or eight people at dinner, and like most of the people at the dinner table, they're talking and they're doing the inner, In the monologue, inner monologue, and it's like that's just a weird way to film a yeah. scene. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, that's I'm not casting aspersions here. But David Lynch did direct this movie. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. Yeah, David Lynch, and I don't know why he, he had such an aversion to having his name attached to his director because he's got kind of a unique voice. He's got kind of a a, a, a different way of presenting his his movies. And this is, to me, pretty consistent yeah. uh, with his narration, with his presentation of movies. Now, generally, he does kind of more suspense, you know, where this is a little more sci-fi. But uh, I mean, I, I I think this is you know, had been a highly uh, maligned movie. It's a it's a little less offbeat than a lot of David Lynch stuff. Uh, my wife is actually kind of a David Lynch fan, and I'm not, yeah. except for Dune. Um, and I've I've watched some Twin Peaks with her. Yeah, and like it, yeah, Twin Peaks. Yeah, of... so like Dune is not as offbeat as yeah. Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, Twin Peaks. But is it still odd. feels. I mean, it's a David Lynch movie. Yeah, yeah, you still have that left of center. Yeah, feeling. yeah, yeah. You, you, things just aren't quite balanced, and I think that it serves it this works movie well. well yeah. uh, whereas in Twin Peaks, you need that for the mystery, you need that for the oddness of the town. Whereas in this movie, you know, everything is so alien. The way the people's minds, their machinations work, everything is so alien. Yeah, it's tough. Now, I know we, want to, we need to transition to our negatives, but yeah. I want to ask one last question about the movie. Okay. So you've seen the movie a bunch, like over the years. Yes. You've only read the book once. Yes. Okay, so I have to ask one. It's probably for Dune fans. It's the most controversial thing about the movie. Okay. I'm going to ask what you think about it. The rain at the end. What did you think about that? I thought it was very appropriate. I thought it was very, I thought it was very uh, fitting. Okay. There because... Um, and it was also kind of left ambiguous as well through the movie. Do they control the water? Do the Fremen control the water on Dune? Does the Kwisatz Satterach 
control the water octave. He is the supreme being. He can. He is the being who can be in two places at once. He is not bound by time and space. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Is the rain? Here's here's something I thought about. This. I don't know if you've thought about it either. <laughs> is the rain? on Dune his longing for Kaladin I don't know have you thought about that evening no I, I thought about that you hadn't thought about that but I'll, t- I'll tell you my here, here's the thing I'd read this book obsessively before I saw the movie for the first time okay and when it started raining I was furious really I was so mad and I, I've, I've, it's only been in recent years that I've, I understand why they did it. And yeah. I, I've come around. I, I like it now. I think, yeah. I think it's good for the movie. Yeah. But, I mean, it doesn't make sense. For, for, the, for the way the, the, the things are set up in the book, like there shouldn't have been rain even possible for decades exactly. and decades and decades. Because now, see, to me, too, the, the water affects the spice. Yeah. So to me – It would have it killed the worms immediately. It was immediately. essentially Paul saying – I control the rain. I control the water. I control the worms. I control the spice. But it was also could be his longing for the rains and waves I, I, on, I, I on Caledon. Yeah. One thing I want to want but, to but I, I think for the movie it works because it's like it's the ultimate victory. It's the ultimate victory. Yes. Yeah, and it shows like Paul has won. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to bring about the movie: the music. It's weird, but I like it. Brian Eno and Toto. So the, the, the band who sings Africa are doing a score for a desert movie. So here, here's the thing. I didn't know that Toto was a band for years. I just know they're the people that did the music for Dune. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know for years and years and years that that was a band and not some dude composer. Now, um, wow. Toto is, a, is an interesting group. A little bit of trivia here musically. Um, they were ma- mostly studio musicians um so they have been on everybody else's albums uh, steve lukather uh, the guitar player is very popular for being on the majority of michael jackson's hmm. studio recordings along with everybody else and he will tell you i don't talk about it because they don't advertise it i don't tell you everybody's albums that i've been on he will tell you that because I, but i've been on a lot of albums <laughs> he said you've probably heard me the singer for Toto is Johnny Williams. John Williams, the composer? His son. Really? Yes. I thought I was being funny. Nope. His son. Wow. Okay. So anyway, let's jump into our negatives. I here. think it's a good soundtrack. Though. Oh, it's a great soundtrack. Yeah. 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 So let's jump into our negatives here. Jamie, uh, really my negatives are just the, the twisty turny so much of the plot. I mean, you don't have, you don't have a plot twist you have plot twists sometimes in multiples in a chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's so, um, you know, sometimes you'll say, okay, well, okay, that's the way this is going. Nope. Nope. Let's, let's, let's completely <laughs> flip that around. So that's, that's going to be my, my major negative. Yeah. And, and like I said story. before, I'm, I'm, I'm completely biased on this. I don't, I don't see it anymore. I've lived with that story for so long that it, it doesn't feel convoluted. That's just the story of doom. And okay. I like the story, so it's okay. Okay. Um, I've got a couple of negatives though. Okay. Um, one is just it's the it's it's just it's what it is. You either roll with it or you don't. The characters in this book are wooden. 
They're two-dimensional. Um, outside of Paul, nobody else really has a character arc. This is true. Um, which for the, I mean, for for fifties and sixties sci-fi, I mean, that's just par for the course. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of character development back back in the, in that era. Science fiction was the plot. Yeah. And that the whole thing was the story. All, all the development all was in the. Yeah, you story. built you built a world. Well, I think Asimov was a pretty good world builder too, but like. Asimov and you know Herbert, all those guys in that era. It was the story, it was the plot, and it was you know the, the world building. That was what mattered. That's what made it really good science fiction. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we're in an era that you know craves character development. Yeah, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get there. It, it does feel like a book from a different time in that regard. And so there's outside of Paul, there's nobody really to latch onto. Um, so that that's kind of a ding on it now. Um, but there's a big one that I just I wish I could change. Um, I wish I could do the a Lucas special edition on it. Um, but I think having two different kinds of superpowers was a mistake. Because if you think about the um, when they take the water of life and they become Reverend Mothers or Paul becomes the quiz at Hadarak, yeah, they get this ancestral memory thing going on mm-hmm. where you can look back into the past. And there's, it doesn't really make any sense because there's sometimes – it's actually one of the few – I think actual mistakes in the book. There's times where it's just your personal ancestry. Mm-hmm. There's other times it's the like the person that gives you the water of life because yeah. Jessica meets with the Reverend yeah, Mother. she meets with the previous Reverend Mother. But when it's explained later on, it's just it's your ancestry. Well, no, it's not. We'd pick one. you know. Hmm. But That's you, interesting. But you've got that whole thing going on. But then also there's Paul's prescience. And I think they should have just rolled with one or the other. I think it should have been just the prescience. I think the water of life should have unlocked for Paul his prescience. And the, and the ancestral memory thing, it was just too much going on. Too many kinds of weird superpowers. Too many different kinds of LSD trips to go on. Yeah. I think but it would now he was also he was also venturing to the future, wasn't he? Yeah, that's the prescience I'm talking about. He's, oh, oh, he's, oh okay, yeah, he's, okay. he's, he, he can look forward. So instead of the looking yeah, so far back into the past. ditch the ancestral memory yeah. and okay. just have just, the future stuff. Just move with the future. Okay. Yeah. I think that would have made the story a little bit tighter and a little less confusing. Because at, at, at times, we're not really sure what Paul can do. Like, what what, what all can he do? Right. And I think if we'd made that a little bit tighter, it would have made the story stronger. Okay. Okay. I think that, for, for me, those are the two big flaws. And that's, that's yeah, that's really not, not too big of a negative. It's uh, not. I yeah. gave it an A. One more one more thing i want to speak to to the movie and it slipped my mind when we were having our discussion i spoke to you about it earlier is the the design of the steel suits the explanation of the steel suits the way that they take your perspiration and and convert it and filter it into drinkable water uh, you know but in the book they're head to foot robes yeah. you know completely covering the person i really really dug the design that they wound up with in the movie even though it wasn't you know, consistent with the book. You've got to show the actors faces. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and I, I you have to show yeah. the actors faces. I mean, but when you have spent that much time, I guess, on that, you're not going to cover it up with with a robe. No. You know, and that's and that is a really uh, sci-fi looking yeah. suit. It's it's a really really great thing. So uh, that is our positives, negatives, a little bit discussion on the movie. We're going to come back with some awards and maybe a look at the impact that Dune has had or even is having on science fiction. And welcome back to the show. And we've um, kind of talked around Dune on um, positives, negatives. Um, we've, tra- we've chased some rabbit trails, and I'm sorry about that. 
Um, but now we want to we want to take a little bit of a detour from our normal format and talk about the impact of Dune on science fiction. You know, at, at large. And we've talked about the movie a little bit. I think the movie's got a pretty small footprint. Yeah, the movie has a pretty small footprint. I know as we were talking earlier. Now, now the interesting thing is the movie was made after one of the things that you would think it would be its biggest influence. But uh, Lucas tried to get the rights to Dune, along with the rights to Flash Gordon, failed at both. So he goes and makes Star Wars. Yeah. I think we're the winners here, folks. Yeah, as, as, as much as I'm, I would be intrigued to see a Dune movie directed by George Lucas, I still think we're all winners. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. The uh, yeah, the Star Wars we've gotten, of course, you know from me, I'm a huge, huge fan, uh, and I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the Lynch movie, uh, uh, Dune here. Uh, I think it's great. Well, I think I think Lynch is the right guy. But, it's such yeah, a weird story it, to get a weird director like Lynch. I think it works. Truly, truly. But you know, the the desert setting. Uh, you know, is very obvious in Tatooine. Uh, you know, you have the crate dragons. You see the skeleton of the of the of the crate dragon, which really could probably be a small worm. You know, yeah. when, when you see a three PO welcome by it. Um, most of Lucas's plants have a monoecology. You know, you have the desert planet. You have the ice planet. You have this one people group on this planet. You have this one people group on that planet. You know, just like with Dune, you have the 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 Harkonnen. You have the 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 Atreides, you know, on Caledon, you have the uh, the Guild, the Bene Gesserit, and, and then they each kind of have their own little planet that they go home to. Yeah. And I, I think the Fremen um, are very reminiscent of Jedi. Very, yeah, yeah. With uh, even with the robes, you know, so to speak, and the uh, you know the the uh, leaning on the prophecies and yeah. the the way that they move and fight, you know, and you have uh, in the in the book it references like you know. Four or five Fremen taken down, you know, lead, you know, not Legion, but, you know, a large group of Sadakar, you know, yeah. who are the, you know, the terror troops, the stormtroopers of that yeah, the elite uh, universe, of the, yeah. of the whole universe. And like Fremen children take them out. I mean, I mean, it's, uh, there's a funny scene where like they send the Sardaukar after like the, the CH in the South where they're supposed to be safe. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the, the women and the children and the old men and the Sardaukar escape with a couple of with, with Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just... And it's really, uh, you wouldn't even think, finding out who those captives were. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they kind of maybe wanted to be captured, you know? Yeah, they yeah. were like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll go talk to well, them. Well, Leah says she wanted to be captured. Yeah. But, I mean, but I, I just think there's... And the the world the world building of Star Wars is very reminiscent. Like, I, I would, I'm willing to bet that... Um, uh, I think it's Corrin is the name of the Emperor's planet. I bet it's mm-hmm. Coruscant. Yeah, I mean, from the later books, I mean, yeah. I, I bet it's got a similar feel. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, it feels the world building's familiar. Some of the, some of the, the way that the, the characters are set up, like the, the, the way they fit into the world, feels mm-hmm. familiar. Um, so I, th- I think that's its biggest lasting impact is the, is the, the, the way it helped shape what Star Wars became. Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the, one of the largest influences too. Another thing, Jamie, I know we had talked about that I think is very interesting is how important. The uh, the ecology of, of planets are you know how the the vegetation the wildlife uh, really affects the characters and the storyline to really drive along. I know in, in even some sci-fi today you know that's kind of just a thing in the background, but you know this it's so important in this movie and uh, you know and I know there's been other other movies and books uh, that 
the you know the ecology really you know these animals really make make seven and, and, and kind of most notably with Star Wars too you, know, you have the Ewoks indigenous to different planes you have the Tauntauns on Hoth um, of course you have Tremors <laughs> you know talking about the worms in the sand you have Kevin Bacon I mean I know, I know we have Keanu but you you know you we, we we may have to you know have a, have a Kevin Bacon connection from time to time here as well. I think uh, I, I think he needs tremors. to be uh, I, I think, think he needs to be going. canonized. <laughs> All right, I think we've got to move on from Impact now and move on to our awards. <laughs> I think Tremors was was the, that's the line where you I'm, move on. I've fallen off the wagon over here, folks. <laughs> Jamie's going to leave me in the dust. He's leaving me behind. But no, uh, the uh, the awards. And and I know we've talked about how two-dimensional some of these characters are and how, um, you know, l- limited each area is. But, you know, there's really, even aside from Paul, who, you know, I guess you'd have to say, you know, he's the, the most important character in the book but jamie um, what, what what would your take be i'm gonna jump on jump to you first um well paul is the most like fully realized character yeah. but i've got and it's probably from the actor's performance in the movie that's really helping this but i love stilgar yeah um stilgar is my favorite character in you know that is going to be the right answer that was going to be my pick <laughs> as well um, Everett McGill's portrayal as Stilgar really fleshes out that character, and, and I mean he was well developed in the book. Yeah, but I, I just I just well love defined. his sort of quiet nobility. Yeah, and his willingness to sacrifice himself for the good of the tribe. And you can and and I love this, and and I hope to be as 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 I grow older, I hope to be. And, and now listen to me here on a podcast talking. You know, I hope to be the man who does not have to have the words. You know, to to be to deliver that weight. You know, to deliver uh, the uh, the earnestness. You know, and he is such a physical presence. I mean, he's not a huge guy, yeah. but he has such an intensity about him, and the way his portrayal of that character is, that is the correct answer in my book. I mean, and I'm gonna tell you too. I mean, you have great notable performances from Patrick Stewart. You have wonderful performances, even from a. Uh, See, I thought you were going Patrick Stewart. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a real show for me. Yeah. I really like, and I would have loved to see more of Duncan Idaho. Uh, we'd spoken about him. Uh, I know he has a lot bigger roles later on in different books. For better and worse. Books, for, but, you know, I would have liked to have seen more of him in this capacity. Yeah. You know, I really would have. Okay, so, um, Jamie, I know this book has garnered quite a few follow-ups. Um, I have not read any of them. I know we have uh, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune. Um, God Emperor of Dune. God Emperor. Uh-huh. Um, let's see if I can get them in the right order. Heretics of Dune. Yeah, I remember Heretics. Chapter House Dune. And then a whole bunch of other books written by people not named Frank Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> or not even related to Frank Herbert. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... What what would be uh, the best of these sequels if if someone was going to jump on one or two of these? Where would you go? It's complicated. It's complicated. Much think, like the plot. Well, I think that the the actual just on its own merits, the next best Dune book is God Emperor of Dune. Mm. But it changes the series so much. I don't like the direction the series takes after God Emperor of Dune. 
Okay. So, I think it's a really interesting book. So up to then. But I don't like what it does to the series. Which now that was what the fourth book. The fourth one. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's the it's the hinge for the, all the books, the whole series. Oh wow. And I don't like what it becomes after that. But um, I don't think you should read any of the other books. I think I mean and 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 you just look and you look back at the the history of the series. Dune was written as a standalone novel. The story was done. When when the when the when the Fremen Jihad starts, that's the end it's, of the story. It essentially is yes. And I think it was Omni Magazine convinced Frank to write um, a serialized story set in the Dune universe. They ended up becoming Dune Messiah. Hmm. So there were there were no plans, but because of that little serial story he wrote for Omni, I think it was Omni. We end up getting all these other books. Okay. Now, but does that serial story exist, or was it? It becomes Dune Messiah. Or, or was so it was started being written and then immediately evolved into I think he Messiah. finished it and they collected it and released it as Dune Messiah. And oh, I, okay. I, th- I think okay. the only other, like if you feel like you need more Dune, you can read the first three books as a trilogy and stop. It ends again there. Okay. And the God Emperor of Dune starts up starts the series over. again. But after that, it it's changes. A, after that's a crazy shift. Because I understand that God Emperor is kind of a crazy out there book as well. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of it's 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 bananas. I mean, it's it's wild. Okay, now speaking of the the first book, Dune, being a standalone book, uh, talking about sequels, and in this age of reboots and reimaginings, uh, there's talk of a. Re- Denny Villeneuve. Dylan, Denny Villeneuve. I think I said that right. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, doing a, a, a version of this movie. And uh, I've, I've heard some casting rumors, really not any names that stick out to me. Um, I know the uh, the actor they're, they're getting to portray, Paul, is, is probably in a 16 to 18 range, uh, which would bring his age closer to consistency with the book. So, Jimmy, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I've, I've actually never seen a movie he's directed. Um, if I have, I've not been aware of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've heard he's a really good visual storyteller and which is something that this would need. Yeah. And apparently he's a Dune super fan. Mm. And so this is a story he's lived with and loved. And so that's the kind of guy that I think could, or, you know, or lady, it doesn't, nothing, it doesn't matter, yeah. but I think he's the kind of person that's probably the director has the best shot at turning this super weird book into a good into movie. A movie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that being said, what, um, you know, that's, kind of uh, weeding over into the mud. So what what would you think of, of as the most confusing? I know we've talked about how complicated and, and, and diluted this plot can be. What what plot here took you a little bit of time to get? What what was the most confusing thing to you as far as plot-wise? I think the, the, the character that has the most confusing plot line through the whole, series, through the whole book is Jessica. Um, I, I think that understanding... Why she's doing what she's doing is hard to follow at times. She's very inconsistent, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. And I, but I think I think specifically it's the scene where she takes the water fly. Um, I think that scene, like it, like it, it's explained later differently what that's doing. Like mm-hmm. she's interacting with the Reverend Mother who was is dying on the spot. That's not how it's explained later. That's not how that actually works. Mm-hmm. And then you know what happens with Aaliyah? I don't think it's explained all that clearly. It's a little confusing what happens there with Aaliyah. And I don't think he went into enough detail to, to explain early. Like, later on, we get more detail about Aaliyah having all the, all the memory and awareness of an adult um, person in the body of a two-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. it, that, that's, that's a little unclear at the time. And it's like, what, you know, what's going on here? 
and, and she's changing the molecules and it takes like a second for like it feel for her it feels like hours and hours and hours for everybody else it's like a one second yeah it's a it's a confusing scene and for Paul it takes him weeks three weeks to do it and but he is completely unaware of that yeah it, it's it's weird it's just kind of it's it's confusing so it's, it's not real mm. clear that's that's very interesting. What about you? You got a conf- most confusing event? Um, probably the event of uh, I won't say the water of life, but when you know, it, it took me a while to figure out why Yui was doing what he was doing. Hmm. Um, it's it, it's not very clear. You know, did they did they capture and torture his wife? Did, you know, is you know what what was one? I was. It took me a while to to catch what was going on there. Um, so yeah, that that kind of kept me see, spinning for a little. Bit. I don't think it's clear. I think he's being purposely ambiguous. There. I think he's been, and I think that the that the Harkonnens are manipulating something that they may not have even been responsible for to him. See, I, I think that we're, maybe we're supposed to read into that because he was married to a Bene Gesserit, and they can tinker with people. Mm-hmm. I I think that maybe we're supposed to like wonder, did Wana do something to him? Was she tinkering with that conditioning? It's supposed to be unbreakable. Mm. Was she? What were the Bene Gesserit doing something to him that ended up making him weaker toward what the Harkonnen plot? So mm. I'm wondering if we're supposed to read something else into that. That his wife wasn't just mm. that his wife that he loved; she was a Bene Gesserit wife. I was. I think. I think we're supposed to think maybe there's something else going on there. Mm, could very well be. Could very well. That's interesting. That's interesting. But well, it is confusing. It really is. But much like the Roman, uh, the Orange Catholic Bible that is spoken about in this movie book, we also have a very strong thing that we hang to here, which is the Keanu connection. <laughs> Jamie, what have you come up with this week? Okay, so we've talked about the movie quite a bit because I think we both are absurdly fond of it. Um. But we're we're here to review the book, and so um, it's hard to chase an you know trace an actor back to a book. Yeah. But we've got a movie getting ready to come out. Yeah. Or 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 it's in pre-production. Right. We spoke about it just a little bit ago. Um. So I think what we should do here is is where, where would we like to? So the connection is like okay, how do we want Keanu to be connected to this new movie? And so, who would you like to see Keanu play in this new movie? I think Keanu would be a great gurney. Really. I completely disagree. I think it's the role he's the least fit to play. Okay. I really do. I'm so. I'm so. I'm. I'm yeah. I, th- I think he would. I think he would be a, a fitting gurney, or possibly even a Duncan. I mean, I know uh, you had we had spoke earlier off mic about the the some of the similarities in those roles. How they're both warriors. They're both uh, and Keanu, you know, becoming quite the action star. Here um, and and also a little philosophical uh, uh, about things, you know, with his uh, with you kind of see with the neo, you know, that he's he's kind of a little a little you know in his in his head there, and I think that Gurney's character, even being a warrior, even being the fighter who is fierce and and out there, you know, he plays the the balisette, the, yeah. the instrument, you know, and I think uh, that's, see, that, see, that's that's the that's... heart that he could portray there, and, and a little bit of the introspection. See, I think that's some of the stuff where I'm, I don't feel Keanu being able to to fit perfectly. I think some of the, like that 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 extra personality stuff that Gurney does, I just don't mm-hmm. see being a natural fit for Keanu. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it's because I've seen Patrick Stewart do it, and then there's yeah. Patrick Stewart and Keanu don't have really much in common. Yeah, I, 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 it would be interesting too to see Keanu just belt out verses of songs <laughs> at random 
you know, depending upon the situation, that that could be an odd. Well, he is a musician, so I mean, I can yeah. see that. But yeah, um, but I think you're actually on the right trail there. If this was going to be a series, and we're going to film all the books. Keanu is Duncan Idaho. That would be perfect. But I wouldn't want that in the first movie because okay. they're just going to make the one. They're not making the rest of these. Things. Yeah, I imagine. And Duncan's how role is so get. small. Yeah. I, we don't we don't want to waste Keanu on a small role. Exactly. I think that now that Keanu is much older, we put him in the Lawrence Fishburne role. We make him the Morpheus of this movie and make him Steelgar. And see if he can be to this new young actor playing Paul what Lawrence Fishburne was to him mm. in The Matrix. I'd like I, to see I love I love the Steelgar character and I love Keanu and I could see I could see him taking a good stab at it. One thing that would scare me would you be, haven't seen John Wick yet would be him looking at the worm and saying, "Whoa, <laughs> that's a big worm." <laughs> no, in all, in all seriousness, uh, I, I think he could possibly pull it off. And yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it to seeing John Wick. I, 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 th- I think John Wick Keanu could could play still. Okay, okay, yeah, I understand. That's a very uh, different role. Yeah, it is. For him that we've, that we've seen him in the past. And, you know, being such a Keanu fan, I've, I've, I, how have I missed this? You know, and I guess it comes down to having young kids and not being able to watch R-rated movies <laughs> at a whim. So um, It's called real life, Dwayne. Yeah, it's called – We're, it's, we're it, both – we have full-time employment. We have small children. By the time the kids are in bed and we can watch movies like that, we're, we're in tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're in bed too sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that happens. Okay. Well, that's that was uh, your Keanu connection. So, Jamie, coming up next, we have our Keeping It 100. I've got a hard sell this week. Oh, you've got a hard sell. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm, 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 I may not require all of my 100 seconds. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Uh, let me get mine set up here. I'm having a little bit of technical difficulty with the uh, fat fingers. Uh, so, okay. I don't think I'm going to need uh, all of my 100 seconds on mine. And I have... Uh, I'll tell you something. I have been waffling a little bit on my on my keeping it 100s. I've got a couple that I really want to get into, but I've got only one that I'm prepared to sell. And believe it or not, I know we're doing our year of Star Wars. This is going to be a Star Wars sale, but not on a Star Wars episode. <laughs> what? Dwayne selling Star Wars? <laughs> so um, if uh, since you're going to – have a have a harder sell. I'm gonna go ahead and go first if it's okay with you. Sure. And if you want to get Sorry. the timer set and ready there, I will. Uh, I'll be ready when you are. Three, two, one, go. All right. Knights of the Old Republic. I know it's an old computer game. I know it's an old Xbox game. But I'll tell you something. It is available as an app on the Kindle for free. I'm sure it would be on the iPod as well. I, iPad. Uh, Apple Store, you get to pick one of three professions, a smuggler, a computer slicer, or a soldier. Pick who you are, you pick your name, and you wake up with some amnesia on a starship that is under attack. You get to make your decisions. You get to interact with people. You get to affect the environment, and your decisions bring your character closer to the light or closer to the dark. And it is so much fun, even though the graphics are a little dated, even though that the storyline is a little dated, even though that this is probably going to make into Legends. It takes place back um, 
3,000 years before the Battle of Yavin, um, I believe. So you are, you know, safely out of the realm of affecting anything. So it is a fun, fun game. You can go completely dark, and the effect the dark side has on your character, I mean, it just demolishes them. Or if you go to the light side, you have the glow when you go back and look at your stats, you know, the glowing blue around you, and it is so much fun and so beautiful. So, Jamie, that's my sale. You got in under 100 seconds. <laughs> Barely. Barely. I know, I've seen you giving me some signals, so I better wrap this up. Um, I second the motion, though. It's a fun game. Yeah. I, have, I haven't, like, spent a whole lot of hours on it, but it's fun. Yeah, I've, I've actually beat it. <laughs> once color, light, color me surprised. Once dark side and once light side. Wow. And I tried to go back and beat it in a, in a neutral path, kind of keeping everything, but it's just too much fun to go one way or another, you know, and, and you can really have some interesting interactions. It's there. a lot of fun. <laughs> it yeah. really is. Uh, so, Jamie, you've got your tough sale here, so are you ready? Five, four, three, two, one, go. Okay, don't laugh. Afterlife with Archie. So you, Archie has these long, that long-running series. It's goofy, you know, 50s-era teenage stuff. They do these weird spinoffs, though. It's like Elseworld stories. Hmm. Okay, this is an Archie series. It starts off, Reggie runs over Jughead's dog. <laughs> Jughead is devastated. So he goes to the, the witches in town, and they won't help him because it's dead. But Sabrina feels bad for him. Oh. They go all pet cemetery on it. And they bring back the dog, but it's evil. <laughs> it bites Jughead. <laughs> By the way, this is on Halloween night. It bites Jughead, and the zombie apocalypse starts. Jughead goes to the school dance as a zombie already. They think he's got a great costume. He starts biting people. Oh, no. Afterlife with Archie. It's ridiculous, but it's so much fun. That does sound like a lot of fun. And you you actually uh, ended there with quite a lot of seconds uh, left. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm going to tell you something. The, uh, the Archie comics uh, have really given us a wealth of entertainment. Yeah. Well, we'll see I mean, you've got, you've got Sabrina the Teenage Witch. You've got Josie and the Pussycats. You've got uh, Riverdale yeah. on, on Netflix now. Um, I mean, of course, you know, just, just the comics themselves, Archie and Jughead. And see, see I, I've, I've not read the comics. I've, I've literally read only – and I've never seen any of the shows. I've literally only read two Archie miniseries. I've read Afterlife with Archie and Archie versus the Predator. <laughs> Archie versus the Predator? When I saw that, I had to read it. <laughs> but uh, – yeah, it's uh, and everything I said there, all the little details I gave you are like in the first like ten or eleven pages of the first issue, and then you've got like a whole like mini series of the effects of the zombie apocalypse on that Riverdale. That is pretty funny. Yeah, all the effects. <laughs> is, that's great. It's a lot of fun. That's great. It sounds like a good a good uh, fun go at something. So yeah, that would that would be definitely a, a fun uh, trail to fall down. And they got a guy who's not like the Archie style artist to come and do the art so it f- feels like like a zombie movie or like a zombie tv show like it has the feel even the art because like, they changed the art style to make it work and it's it's the art's actually really good oh that's awesome yeah. i love when they uh, put someone who is not in that style yeah in that style yeah that's great that's great okay well jamie what uh what's our next quest for us to send our folks upon well, we are continuing our year with Star Wars. Our next episode is Revenge of the Sith. 
the good prequel. <laughs> yes, Revenge of the Sith. We uh, will be uh, viewing this uh, that wraps up the uh, the prequel trilogy. He looked like I had stabbed him or something. This look, this pain look going across his face. I'll tell you, Revenge of the Sith is probably one of the movies I've spent almost the least time with. I would say it's a really? toss-up between uh, Sith and Attack of the Clones, hmm. the movies that I've spent the least amount of time with, Star Wars-wise. Now, Revenge of the Sith, of course, wrapping up the sequel trilogy. Uh, coming off of that, you go into the Clone Wars just a, just a couple short years later. Um, but yeah, I'm looking really forward to, to your take on that one as well and i'm gonna have to to dig into a little well, bit I'm, I'm a little surprised by the way you're, you're, you're talking about it so now I'm, I'm i thought i knew what you were going to say about revenges if i'm not sure yeah um I'm, I'm sort of along the lines of revenge of the sith the way i am with uh the uh empire strikes back they're not my favorite star wars movie well, this is gonna be an interesting conversation yeah Okay. Well, great, great. Um, so, you know, look forward to doing that in the next uh, next couple of weeks. So, uh, Jamie, where can folks contact us? Well, um, you can go to our uh, Facebook group page, and um, we're letting all, all comers in. If you're interested, you can join the conversation there. Yes. Um, we're always open to emails at roundtablenerds at gmail.com. And, that, and if you really want to request something, if you want to maybe give us an idea for a future episode, that's the place to do it. Um, except maybe Instagram. I, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm still kind of a troglodyte. I'm not really on Instagram. Yeah, and, and I'm still figuring the Instagram thing out, guys. And if you want to find us on Instagram, we are Roundtable Nerds, Nerds with the K2. So Roundtable Nerds 2 uh, on there. And what I try to do is I'll try to post some stuff from time to time. But mainly what I'm doing is I'm, uh, I'm trying to pimp the episodes that we're going to do is I'll throw something out on a Friday. And then I'll throw something out on the day that it's released. And I'll try to have a little clever something. I'll do a little screenshot. So, uh, you know, keep up with us there. Of course, our Facebook page uh, that Jamie mentioned is Nerds of the Roundtable. And that's Nerds with a K. And we're having quite a lot of interaction there uh, with some folks and uh, a lot of interesting stuff being posted so until next time i'm Dwayne. hey hey Dwayne. yeah the spice must flow spice must flow <laughs>